0: You are listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avrom and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is some of my best friends are capitalists, and I'm here with Rav Noson Notaglick from Ashkelon. Rav Noson um, Yom and Arayim are behind them. It's a struggle to be able to think properly and to use the words of our tefillos in a way that makes a difference and isn't considered just something that is a struggle. So I know you have some thoughts about this, Avnason, and maybe a way to help
1: us. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, first I would point out that if you take the phrase, I hate davening, and you do a a google search or a, or a youtube search you will find plenty of material trying to address this fact that apparently we have definitely have a love-hate relationship uh, with the entire concept of davening and minion and everything related to that so it's not for many of us a very pleasant experience but what i would begin with is saying that we need i think to understand who we are better you know understand how it is that we are here and a practice that used to be extremely extremely meaningful for many many people for many years has somehow degraded and become something negative and and undesirable to us like what what's happened to us i'm not saying what's happened to us because i want to you know i want to beat myself up or 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 that we should beat ourselves up over this but we need to understand what's happened and i think that something has happened and it's not necessarily our fault but if we understood what happened then we would know perhaps how to approach things and and, and make it better you know you can't you can't solve a problem until you really know what it is and i i find that a lot of people who have proposed solutions to what's wrong with davening um, don't really have a handle on what's actually changed and, you know, why, why are we this way? Okay, yeah, so I, I, that would be my well, approach, as, as even as a preamble to, to actually addressing the question itself. I, I think we also
0: have to distinguish, and I, I know this is true about yourself and, and many others, that concentrating on information, especially, let's say, learning, if you if you have that proclivity, isn't that hard? The we're not talking about someone who is so scatterbrained that they can't read or appreciate the reading of a challenging legal text or a fascinating medrash. are because those things I don't think ever uh, were beyond you. I think you 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 rolled up your sleeves and wanted to really think about that and read it again and again. I think part of, of what you're zeroing in on is the issue with the um, forced text of prayer, that this these are the words you need to offer towards God, as opposed to information or legal questions or uh, formulations of how we are supposed to do something or, uh, or or solve a a, a a problem. I don't right. A yeah. who could be great in making a laning, let's use that phrase, over a Gemara Rashi Tosis and be able to do the Marsha and the Maram and 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 go beyond, might still have huge problems when it comes to just getting the words out properly and really meaning it and 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 being in the moment of tefillah
1: correct? No, I, I agree completely and I would say that this does come to me also from my own experience it was always easier for me to learn than it was to to Davin, undeniably and but the truth is that the kind of learning that was able to turn me on the kind of learning that was able to keep me involved was the learning in which there was a struggle and a reward at the end of it you know, if you can come up with a, with a insight or a chidush or something that that uh, is the result of a creative process, so that always enticed me terribly. I would, I could go after that. Uh, it was, it was much different if it was just, you know, like. Wrote learning halacha that you need, you need to know the halachas of this or the halachas of that, and then you just go through a bunch of halachas and you try to remember them, which I was never able to do. Frankly, I was never able to remember anything that I was not able to somehow uh, come to some kind of synthesis. Over
0: which I would tie in, and I know we did study together. If you remember, we spent yeah. some, a number of nights. Good times, yes. But I think part of it is is the construction, and this is sort of stealing your thunder a little bit since you wrote me a, a note about this. Part of it, I think, is the construction of a narrative that we can impose upon the, the legalistic texts or the perplexing medrash, and we can see the language and then redo it we in our own mind think about a question and answer and then go back to it and have it tell us a story in a different way. And and like mm-hmm. you say, the the payoff is look what I just did. I took this the this 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 verbiage and I stepped back and I, I was able to create a story out of it. It's almost like taking your army men when we were kids and and and, and then creating a battle scene and enjoying what was going on there with them that's what i think is happens even though it's primarily a verbal skill and a reading skill Not, that
1: is something you can't do when it comes to tefillah unless you unless you learn to like if i was to take you know tefillah shmoyna is, right, and look at it as an intellectual product project and analyze it and come up with all sorts of fiducia about why you know why do, why does this follow that and what does this have to do with that and what is something how does the whole thing hang together you know, that would be that would be no different than learning anything else but oh, right learning and something it, learning it, something when you actually have to create a synthesis of what you're of, of what's coming at you that is an extremely satisfying endeavor um but just reciting something is generally not at least not for me I have to tell you that Rav Chaim Kanievsky as well, uh,
0: was approached by a author who he shared an incredible amount of time with. The Siddur is called Tfilas Moshe. And it's, it is the author's suggestions on the whole gamut of the Siddur with Rav Chaim's points. And Rav Chaim told this author that every person could actually learn the sitter like you said and find the type of interpretation that speaks to him or her based on as you say why was it phrased this way this is what it means let's go back and define the terms and once that happens your davening is really informed by that learning that you did so the question is sort of a pietistic question. It isn't a legalistic question. But the answer that you gave resonates so well within you that the next time you stand in front of God, you sort of quickly go through the question and answer again, and it, 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 which is the madrega in a way of das, of approaching God through prayer. So it really, you could really use that shtick as, as a means to make davening more meaningful.
1: My, I think my concern would be that it would no longer be davening at that point it, <laughs> becomes, it becomes just another kind of learning and davening okay. is something other than learning and, and that's uh, part it's, of the uh, definitely, issue that I would want to
0: untangle definitely from the Kabbalist perspective I agree with you you know they, they, there's a famous um, story I don't know if how true it is but the Chassidim loves saying it over and you know in Yampo was before the Nota Behuda became the Rav of Prague and this glorious, greatest rabbi of Prague. He was a, a Rav in a small city called the Ampol, which the Baal Shem Tov was living there as well at that time. And they spent, I don't know if it was a number of months, maybe a year together, and they came to appreciate each other. The... And therefore, you'll know, so the Baal Shemtev came over to him after Shman and asked him why he was thinking and learning during his Shman Why was he thinking and learning? Because he knew. He could tell mm-hmm. that in the Shman he was doing some, now, we I don't think he was doing the type of learning you just mentioned. It, maybe it was a sugya that he had been involved in that he carried over into his brain while he was standing and saying Shmenesrei. So Ravichesco Landau said that sometimes you need to do that. He said that you're right. The normal thing to do is to concentrate on the words and supplications towards God. But sometimes, just like a general can come into town and commandeer a bridge, commandeer a home, and say this is now going to be a, a bivouac for the military and we're going to cut that tree down in order to be a battering ram against the enemy, sometimes the general <laughs> needs to impose upon the regular Avodim. And that was the Noe De Behuda's answer, that, the, uh, that there, there was a need, so to speak, to like override. But I think it really, the, the story, Really underscores what you're saying. Even someone as great as the Night mm-hmm. Behuda would could, could be considered someone to struggle with that because his approach to Davening was the approach of, 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 a, of, a, of a Talmudist. They say yes. that he they say he might have known Kabbalah, but but you know what you're talking about, especially when we talked about it from Ramalafi and others. You're talking about pure concentration on the letters. And on the ideas behind them, and that's something which sounds like
1: something beyond have shifted. And these are shifts in the in the um, general society around us. It's not necessarily shifts that are specifically a result of our own of our own making. Um, one one of the shifts is that words used to be the primary. The primary way of experiencing the world, we would experience the world much more through words than we would experience through images. Okay, because if you you know if, if you went outside your your you know front porch and you saw a tree and you saw some birds and you saw a nice field, that was a that was a view that you had pretty much all the time. But if you wanted to experience things that you had never seen or that you were never going to see, uh, then you would need to use language. You would need to talk to somebody who been traveling you need to get a book which uh, has travel diet. you know travel um, the primacy of language as a way of bringing us to visualize things that we'd never seen and basically a way of really experiencing the world um in in a in, a, in its most full way That was something that existed in previous generations that doesn't exist for us any longer because you know we we have pictures and we have movies and we have videos and all of our all of our information comes to us primarily through visual means not through not through audio means so to some extent the the power of words has become substantially weakened and we don't think of words as being conveyors of being or convey conveyors of, uh, of reality any longer. Okay. Um, and I would say, if, you know, if you can imagine maybe being locked away for a Russian winter, you know, the, you know, the, the Baron of such and such, or the, or the, the princess of such and such, and everybody gathers together around the fire to listen to her, listen to the mistress of the home, read, uh, read War and Peace by Tolstoy, one chapter at a time over the course of six months. And the impact of that on the people who were listening was, was very profound. People really got into that. And, you know, and in, in a sense, they had no choice. I mean, there was nothing outside but white, you know, and cold and misery. And inside, it was just the art, you know, the house that everybody was living in. So the experience of hearing the story was much more powerful and much more, much more profound um, for people then, than it could possibly be uh, for now. Yeah, you know, when, when you when when you say those things, is
0: that that image includes, as you said, the peasants who probably were maybe also allowed to come to the fire and hear the mistress read uh, Tolstoy's prose. Uh, and what it reminded me of of the what was despite the taskmaster's struggle to contain it, what occurred in the antebellum South, where African-American slaves were able to hear the stories of the Bible and perhaps other readings that, that the genteel uh, owners would read to them, and they absorbed it. and Mastered it to a point that, despite them being illiterate, not being able to read, and, and forced not being able to read, they would be beaten if they were actually reading because they were afraid of what that information would do. But the information they were allowed to listen to, because that was the only option, maybe it wasn't. It was it was the white of the cotton as opposed to the white of the snow, but they became extremely proficient. And even surpassed in many ways their white owners
1: in their appreciation of language. So absolutely, and and their sophistication in using it. There's a whole tradition amongst African Americans of of fancy talk, uh, which is a basically a a presentation in which somebody speaks intentionally um hyper sophisticated words and constructions and things, and it's uh it's a it's a it's an art form of which I think some of the rap and hip hop that is around today uh, is an extension of that or a descendant of that now, uh, I, oh, this has been noted by many sociologists
0: it's hard to say today without stepping on some sort of woke eggshell, but when you know when Jesse Jackson uh, was a, considered a a viable candidate for president. Many people underscored the fact that he was a uh, an incredible orator compared to the other buffoons that were up there on the lectern. Uh, and and this is something which people noted was part of their of the African American tradition. There's a reason why Martin Luther King stirred so many. He wasn't a, uh, un, he was definitely unusual and unique in his heart, but in terms of the quality of his language, this was something that the African-Americans had been developing for years, um, and you can see it in the in the novel uh, Invisible Man, which is I, I, one of my favorites, uh, written by Ralph Ellison in, I think it was the late 1940s the 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 power of, of language and though you say it still exists but for most of societies especially as you say the 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 hungry information ones no one has time to relish a beautiful phrase anymore do they uh, no they, it's interesting that people still know about song lyrics i guess
1: but definitely not. Well, look, even song lyrics have really taken a hit over the years. You know, you don't have the song lyrics that are being produced are, are a far cry from from um, the great song lyrics of the past or, or certainly from the poetry that was once uh, that was once created. And people used to read poetry also. I mean, could you just imagine 20 people sitting around a room for three hours listening to poetry every night? You know, it's it it, it boggles the mind.
0: Well, okay, it but did. People it, were it,
1: really into language. Well, it,
0: it did happen, as you know. Although we were youngsters, you know, the idea of the hippie poet and people—I uh, guess they were stoned—and that
1: helped a lot. But sitting at that, have, it, that yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> who was it's it?
1: Ginsburg. Who's Alan Ginsburg? Alan I heard. Yeah. I heard Alan Ginsburg. Back in back in 1972, I was 12 years old, and the hippies were gathered in Flamingo Park in Miami Beach, and and uh, we'd wander around there, um, just you know, looking at things, looking at interesting people. And yeah, Allen Ginsberg was there doing a doing a poetry reading. That's true, yeah. Um, I'll ch- I'll change I'll change the topic there, of poetry, which came from a culture that was materially very very um, impoverished in many ways, and. You know, there's one thing that I always, always uh, remember, and that is uh, Imam Ali, who was uh, Muhammad's uh, son-in-law, and there are two, two drashot, um, which are attributed to him, that are supposed to be complete miracles, okay? The, the first one is that he was able to say an entire drasha of who knows how many words um, without there being a single word that has a dot in a letter the same way that we have dots in our letters in Hebrew they they have dots in some of their letters so he managed to say a a sermon that had only letters without dots no you know no digesh in any of the letters uh, another sermon that he had was a sermon that had no olives in it i guess there's a certain kind of aleph which uh which he was able to get get out of his get out of his production so he you know he stands up one day and he delivers a sermon you know 3000 words not a single alif in it and that is considered by by uh by muslims or certainly shia muslims as as being an absolute gigantic amazing miracle and you know from their point of view um ali was the rightful heir of muhammad and he's the foundation for all uh, for all shia islam that that follows after that so you see people with with have you know not very high a material standard of living and and perhaps not a lot of book learning, but because they're listening to poetry, because they're listening to people who compose, because they're into language, because language provides them their primary way of experiencing things that they can't directly experience through the senses for them. Language becomes a universe and, you know, and they become very, very skillful at it because that's what they have. That's what they're working with. Okay, and human beings want to expand their minds, even even people who are not educated need need that experience so what we're doing what we do visually by going to movies or by watching videos or in order you know thinking pictures that show us things that we will never see in our entire lives, okay for people three hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, three thousand years ago that, that happened primarily through through words, so words are very, very powerful things, and I just want to point out that when you're, when you're davening, when you're praying, the words that you speak are the vehicle through which you approach Hashem, which you approach God and commune with God and encounter the divine. You don't encounter Hashem in the physical place right in front of your nose. Okay you know you're diving in front of a wall you don't you don't you don't see a Baruch who in the wall you find the Baruch who in the words that you speak and the Baal Shem Tov is very clear about this this kind of thing so if you're if you're if your ability to experience language is weak then you're not going to be able to to daven properly you're not going to be able to understand what davening even is because your sense of words are is depleted one of you know, we... One of the Rosh Hashivas who thought a lot about davening,
0: though you would be surprised, was the nativ And we know him as the great Voloshan Rosh Hashiva, and he didn't write a work on, on Sidur, or specifically a Musr Sefer, but throughout his commentary, he emphasizes the difference between Tzalusa and Bausa. Um, the term Tzalusa, of course, is Aramaic, And he defines it as a type of prayer that is rigid and formulaic. Similar to the Shemona Esrei that the Anshayi Knesset Hagdola created. He implies that there was always standard unifying mantras that were always said. And it followed a certain pattern of Shevach, Bakosha and Haida, that the rabbis say is the is the primal parts of prayer, and then there was the Busa, which was the individual crying out really internally more powerful one. But what he speaks about is the balance that's necessary. you need to build the fortress with the tsalusa, with these words that you repeat, these words that are the same every single time you approach God. And then you are able to insert, or in his term actually using the famous Targum of the you can then start with the which is the tsalusa. It's it's Think of a person with a machete cutting vines or dealing with uh, or one of the three musketeers who is using his, his sword to, to stab at all the ones that are attacking close. And after those have sort of been cleared, he gets a sight of the king of the opposing army and then takes his arrow out, the keshet, and then Mm. the Be'usa. Now I can penetrate, now I can actually attach and be connected. But I needed to hack away with the Cherev. And if you don't hack away with the Tzlusa, you don't really have the ability to catapult forward into that amazing zone with the Be'usa. So I think that part of what you're leading to is the importance of this standardized words and the repetition that it calls for and here is where we i think you have indicated our age considers that something of an anathema to to keep on repeating the same thing over again
1: right Mm, oh yeah yeah we're not we're not i think we that goes to the second transformation that I think has happened is that we become much more information based and, and, uh, less I would perhaps experientially based, you know, it, it's like, we don't necessarily live all that much anymore, but we're, we're involved in gathering information. So it often seems odd to me that, you know, you could ruin a whole movie for somebody by giving them a spoiler. So you need a, you know, you need a spoiler alert. Right, um, because if I tell you what's going to happen, then you're not going to have any desire to see the movie anymore. No matter what the cinemata- cinematography is, or the or the storyline, or the whole experience of watching it and being there. That's not really as interesting as what happens. So if tell me what happens. That's it. You've destroyed it for me. And we have that informational kind of attitude towards things where, okay, you know, give me, give me the information. And I've, once I've got the information, that's it. I don't need anything else. I'm not interested in anything else. So I think it's, I think it's very clear that the, even the Torah itself doesn't work that way. The Torah works with the idea that the more you repeat something, the better it is. One thing, the, the things that are really important for the Torah to tell us about are things that are repeated over and over and over. The Torah itself is something that is meant to, re, to be repeated over and over and over. And, you know, as best as I understand, people back in the in, in earlier times had a much different attitude towards repeating. They enjoyed repeating. They enjoyed going to shul week after week after week to hear the same thing over and over and over again and it wasn 't just us you know your average Greek who went to let 's say uh, um, went to the annual annual uh, theater presentations in Athens was watching plays that were put on the plays were rehashing the same mythology over and over and over again there was nothing There was nothing new to be to be seen there. The only thing that was new was perhaps how a certain playwright had managed to manage to uh, um, state what was already known so repetition was not a bad thing. repetition was was once again you know you couple that with the power of words and of themselves to 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 um, show you a vision of life and reality and then you repeat it because you're really trying to become somebody you know you're you're trying to establish your identity you're trying to you're trying to um create a solid foundation for your identity and who you who you think you are so an ordinary yid that we go to an ordinary shul and hear something repeated Repeated thousands of times in the course of his life, he didn't think it was boring. He didn't think it was boring because every time he heard it, he was reestablishing his own identity as a as a Ben Avram yitzhak Yaakov. You know, he was just that reestablishing his own identity as a member of the community, and he was and he was establishing his own relationship to the to the eventual Geula, which of course was very uplifting to everybody because people back then loved hearing about hearing about uh, you know the end of days and. Shiach and, and all that sort of stuff. So when you when you listen to something over and over and over again, it made you into who you are. And that was a very gratifying experience to be a member of this community, to be a member of this people, to be a member of... We still see
0: this, of course, as you've pointed out to me in a previous uh, conversation with our children, especially now our, our yeah. grandchildren, where we see that they... Saba, read me that story again. They want to hear... Where the wild things are for the three thousandth time they want to hear um you know uh, the book over and over again because it's allowing them a sense of identity they enjoy singing the same songs and it's interesting how we knock it out of them based on your theory here because kids have it naturally you are, are postulating adults and previous eras were more in tune to that. And somehow our age allows maybe the children to do it once. in a, to, But once they grow up or maybe they before they could even grow up, they're already faced with the demand of what's on the next page. You know, I, Part of it is the debate that happened in the late 60s and early 70s between the children's television network. And Fred Rogers in WQED in Pittsburgh. Basically, there was... Tell me, I never heard of that. Yes. So there was a battle over what children's television should be. So you had the Children's Television Network, which was, or the workshop, which was, of course, CTW, which was behind Sesame Street. And then you had Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was very repetitive there was a person who would greet you and pretty much take off his sweater the same way and put on his, his, his shoes and then sing the same song. Yes. Whereas Sesame street was let's be wild. You know, let's give the kids, let's jump from one thing to the other. Let's jump from every you know, possible letter of the alphabet uh, and come up with many ways that we can stimulate. So really Fred Rogers and what he was attempting to do was to harness the belief that he had and give it over to others about how repetition is important, how the familiar continuing over and over again is what builds stable personalities and people that like being themselves, which is part of what his message was. I like you. You should like yourself. Mm-hmm. Whereas a a society that puts as a premium what's what's the next thing? Are you on to the next thing? Do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know about that? Never lets the person really be satisfied with being himself.
1: That is very true. And anything that has been already is no longer worthy of any particular attention. It what, what is new What is coming what is arriving now that's that's the that's the important thing and to some extent it has to do with a general sense of estrangement from all of the um from history from the past and people used to people used to rely much more on the past as a source of valid information you know like all traditions philosophical traditions religious traditions um, this is all basically conservative. It, it feeds the past into the present, and people would open their hearts and and accept that into themselves and be informed by it. And uh, today, the, the tendency is to discredit a tradition. If uh, we have a tradition that something is the ah, it doesn't matter. That that can't be real. I mean, that's just uh you know just a bunch of made-up stories we're going to figure out scientifically what the truth is now we're going to come along with something new and you know, we see this a lot i think in bible scholars and, and uh, you know bible uh bible study that uh especially as it happens in the university that uh, everybody has to say something new everybody has to make up some sort of new story about how this happened and why this happened and this isn't really that that really isn't that it's it's really something else you know the, Uh, There never was, you know, there never was a David Melech, you know, it's all, it's all um, Yoshia towards the end of uh, bias Rishon, and a million and one, you know, new fabricated stories of that sort, which presumed to be telling you the real scoop on what actually happened back then. So the past that comes to you through tradition. I think you're incorporating something which might be similar, but
0: not exactly the same, which is the scholastic world's demand on producing novel, new types of essays and treatments, otherwise, like these professors, what are they earning their money for? Uh, and therefore, most of the writing is either debunking, one uh, re-examining and bringing back another. They all, if you read the scholastic papers, they spend the first part of the uh, of the work. And when I was a uh, a, a academic advisor for people that were writing their capstone uh, ending college p- papers, we forced them to do the same thing, which was first give a summary of the standard information about this topic, and then suggest your theory as to why it's not true. Talk about the holes, holes, which is really counter to what I think our learning and our davening is supposed to be. Yes, we have to daven with the eyes and ears, and mentality of people of tough and Pei Bays. God expects that, but yet we're supposed to invest the sacred words with that mentality, and, and, and in that way, it's clear that there is a new twang, but invested in a different way, and that, I think, is the sort of the crux of what we've been referring to, as opposed to wiping the blackboard clean and inserting a new text, inserting something different. Uh, Sort of reminds me a little bit of what happened a number of years ago that was made fun of properly in many of the media outlets when it was right by Rosh Hashanah that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away. And in uh, a number of Reform synagogues, they decided to honor her. And what they did was they had an alternate Haftorah for that Rosh Hashanah. And the alternate Haftorah was to chant one of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's legal opinions in the Haftorah tune. So instead of reading about Tefillah's Chana on Rosh Hashanah, they instead inserted a Ruth Bader Ginsburg opinion. As what justice should mean on this great day of justice. So that's sort of, Mm -hmm. it it, it, it was so ridiculous. Ben Shapiro made fun of it, and so did many, many others. But that's sort of a little bit uh, an extreme version of what you're referring to. We can't stand the old. We want to make it relevant. We want people to realize that we have these eternal values. And unless we sort of incorporate these others, and their words, people are going to uh, run away from what it is that we have.
1: Because we need to have something new to keep them interested. Say really is that as, as Daveners, we have to struggle against two major things that we're generally not even conscious consciously aware of. Right. And the first is that to a large extent, language is dead for us. We no longer live in language the way that our ancestors did, and so it's very hard for us to, to use language as the vehicle through which to travel through reality and encounter Echad Oshvarechuk. Oh, it happened in language to where I say it and then it's over. So you, I can I can kind of understand why people have really like a so dead, depressed feeling about davening because it's like, it's like, you say it, it's done. It falls apart, it's useless. And well, it's useless because we, we have lost kind of the ability to experience language in a certain way. And so that becomes very depressing. If this is if this is our connection to, to our Kaddish Baruch, Hu, well we're in trouble. It just doesn't work anymore. I just I, 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 I said Shminestray and there, what's left? Left. Nothing even the words disappear and I'm left with me and my sitter and the wall in front of me. And that's all, that's all that I have. So it's a very depressing exercise. It's like, it's doomed to failure from the outset. And if that wasn't enough, we no longer have any kind of good feeling towards repetition and the the tefillot are repetitive. They are meant to be repeated. And they're meant to be such that the more you repeat them, the more powerful they become. And that no longer works for us because what attracts us is what is new not what is been transmitted and what not what has been repeated so we have a real problem with how do we do this and i think that the answer lies not within the framework of this discussion because we're just about over uh, but the answer lies in retraining our minds to be able to experience things that we have forgotten how to experience so really on some level i think that there's a a meditative practice that we need to cultivate and that then becomes the gateway to uh to experiencing I'd, i'd like to suggest something
0: to maybe think about as well as we wrap up one of the books are sort of fading And the idea, as you say, of war and peace or these uh, great novel being read by millions and millions and millions, what has actually accelerated in that time is the proliferation of the graphic novel, where you sort of have the, the verbiage can sometimes be beautiful, but it is tethered to very stark and interesting imagery or yeah you know, psychedelic or beautiful imagery that can somehow tell the story and i think those i don't know how many times people are reading rereading books but i think people do reread graphic novels i think there's something about it's not like you say a movie there's probably very few movies that people are watching over and over again unless you know it's like a rocky horror picture show or something that is a is something they just want to get together and scream together but i think the 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 combination of images and language together done with an artistic sense can bring a person back to notice new things over and over again even What's... someone who's even someone who's jaded by our Everything is an image that we've absorbed through movies and television. Um, I I know myself that, you know, the comics, and we call them comics, but they really aren't funny, but the graphic novels that really stand out, there is so much to be gained on a new reading. The same way people understand the Mona Lisa as something to be looked at generation from generation and sense something within her smile I think that uh, uh, the graphic novel sitter would, I think, be a very, <laughs> would be a, a wonderful thing. The, the I, I think that if, if the kids were given the Siddur as a graphic novel, I think that they would be able to turn to it and, and enjoy it. And I don't think it would be something that they would uh, ignore. Just something to think about as we wrap up over here. That's something. That's- um, uh, a sitter, for example, you know, <laughs> it would be great, to, right? Ah, but it would be, but it be blood uh, be and gore, not, yeah, Well, it doesn't need blood and gore. It might be an image of someone in a COVID unit, and might be someone who, who was in a, a certain uh, a psych a, a psych unit of a hospital. All you would need is those pages to take the reader through. And when that I, I, I guarantee mm. you, when the person with Daven, mm, right, or and you could have your, your presidents and judges of today, you know, and you could you could you could ridicule them and say, yeah, get rid of these bums. Right. Bring back, mm. bring back, bring back those those ones that we used to have. Uh, again, so thinking outside of the somebody box. Somebody could
1: take that under consideration. Yeah,
0: sure. It, 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 just thinking outside of the box and going back to what I know spoke to me uh, when I can go mm-hmm. back and reread some of my favorites. Nate, you're always going to be one of my favorites to always go back and reread. I'm happy you we're able to have mm-hmm. the beginning of this discussion. Take care, everybody. We will continue, perhaps, in this vein. Now-